Hey, listen, I'm excited. I'm so excited about sharing with you the start of this new sermon series. We're calling Easter Changes Everything. And I'm really excited to show you this little piece of hardware right here. This baby. This, uh, this is a fantasy football traveling trophy. And I actually uh, won three years in a row, 1994, 95, and 96. That's why I get to keep the trophy, because I'm the only person who won three years out of the 12 that are on here. I really thought that winning that third one was going to do something to change my life. I really thought that everything would turn around for me, and it didn't affect my life at all, except maybe an occasional conversation with my wife over whether that is a mantle worthy or not. And if you've ever been to my house, you know that she wins most of those discussions, because it's never on the mantle. It's down in the man cave where nobody can see it but me, but that's okay. Hey, listen, we do a lot of things, we invest in a lot of things, we do a lot of things that we think will change our lives, but they don't really change our lives at all, right? There are situations, though, in life that have the potential to be really life-changing. For instance, the unexpected death of a loved one, that will change your life, probably forever. A doctor's report to explain that you have a terminal disease. But there are also good things that can be life-changing, like finding your soulmate, becoming highly successful in a particular field, or perhaps winning the Mega Millions last Friday night of a half a billion dollars. And if you won that, the offering envelopes are right in the seat back in front of you. <laughs> you know, we think Easter has the potential to change virtually everything. That's what we think around here about our lives, if we'll just embrace the truth of it. And so we want to begin on this journey over the next six weeks to talk about how Easter changes everything. It just changes everything. We're going to start today by talking about how Easter changes your future. Then over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how it changes your purpose, your family, your relationships, your finances, and your perspective. You see, Easter has the potential to change virtually every area of our lives if we will just let it. But today we're going to focus on how Easter changes our future. Let's see in the next few minutes how Easter can change our future. And let's start with the historical event that we're actually celebrating today. Because the resurrection, you see, validates Jesus. It actually validates Jesus. Let's go back and read what actually happened. In Matthew, we're going to start with uh, chapter 27, verse 62, and go to chapter 28, verse 10, and just see what the Bible says about the resurrection of Jesus. It says, the next day, that is, after the day of, of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, the, to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. As we continue to read, we see that he did see them, and he appeared to them for quite a number of days. Now listen, this changes everything right here, folks. This historical event changes everything. In fact, to compare Christianity to any other world religion is like comparing a grape to a bowling ball. Now, they're both kind of round, but that's it. There's nothing else that they have in common. I mean, that little tiny thing is all they have in common. Why is Christianity so different? Because of the resurrection, folks. Christianity is not a set of beliefs or rules or, or even good things to do. Christianity rises or falls on the historical event that Jesus rose from the dead. Folks, if he did not raise from the dead, Christianity collapses. It just collapses on itself. But if he did, it changes everything. You know, many churches today will be focusing on the evidence for the resurrection and the real meaning of Easter, which that's what it is, and they'll be trying to convince people that come on Easter that the resurrection actually took place. I'm not going to focus on trying to convince you of that, but Jesus did actually get beaten to death, and three days later he rose from the dead. There are many resources available that can attest to all of that evidence that's out there. Sources like a book called More Than a Carpenter from Josh McDowell, a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, uh, The Case for Christ's Resurrection by David Balsinger, Evidence and Demands a Verdict also by Josh McDowell, Jesus on Trial, A Lawyer Affirms the Truth of the Gospel by David Limbaugh. There are dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of, of researched documents out there that will tell you the resurrection actually took place. The reality is, folks, it takes more blind, uneducated faith to not believe that the resurrection took place than there is that it did. In other words, if you stack up all of the evidence for the resurrection or against the resurrection, at the end of the day, this stack has more stuff. And so it actually takes more blind faith to believe it didn't happen than that it did but that's not what I want to talk about today. You can find that information if you want to. I want to answer a different question, which is this. So what? So what? What if it did take place? What difference does it make? Well, you know, there are, there are literally hundreds of fake messiahs since Jesus walked the earth. In fact, if you Google it, you can see hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of fake messiahs since Jesus walked on the planet. Now, you can probably only remember a couple of them. And when I Googled that, I, I had never heard of most of them. You can probably remember a couple, though, maybe like David Koresh or, for some of you, a little older, uh, Jim Jones. But the only reason we remember them is because all of their followers perished with them. You see, all of, out of all those other hundreds and thousands you don't know or you never heard of, you'll probably never hear of unless you actually try to find them. Why is that? Because they're fake. They weren't him. They didn't raise from the dead. 
You see, fake Messiah's reputations die almost faster than they do when they're fake. People have been trying to kill the supposed rumors about Jesus for 2,000 years with no hope of minimizing or erasing him from history because he rose from the dead. Anybody who does this deserves to have a hearing from us on what they would have us do. I mean, let's think about that for a minute. Listen, there are, there are a lot of people, you know, I'm a pastor and there are a lot of people that, that, that give me opinions and thoughts and ideas about what we should or shouldn't do here and all those kind of things. But listen, if somebody raises from the dead, they go right to the top of the list. I, I'm giving them a hearing and I'm going to listen very carefully to what they have to say. Easter and the resurrection, folks, change everything in history and It has the power to change us too, if we'll let it. But it first validates Jesus as the Messiah, who is exactly who he said he was. It's really not a historical question at this point, folks. And if it is for you, spend the time looking at the evidence to decide for yourself which takes more faith. Trust me, you'll probably come around. So if we accept the fact that the resurrection validates Jesus, it it, uh, validates who he was and and what he did, then we want to see exactly what it was that he did for us. Well, first, he offers us life eternal. Okay, this is life-changing right here, folks. You want to come and hear about how Easter changes everything? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and then offers to give us life eternal, that changes everything already. Did Jesus really offer life eternal? I mean, did he really do that? Here's what he said himself in John 10.10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, wait a minute. Don't we already have life? Isn't everyone who can hear these words already living? I mean, are there any dead people here? Anybody? Well, you couldn't raise your hand anyway, but, but you know what I mean. Listen, we're already alive. He couldn't be talking about physical life. He couldn't be talking about how he had given us physical life because we already have it. It's not something he can give us because it's something we already have. What is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual life, folks. He's talking about life that never ends, even in death. But wait a minute, didn't he die for everybody? Don't we all kind of have the eternal life somehow because he died for the sins of the whole world? Look what it says in 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, I know that that is pretty irritating to people in our culture to hear that. But that's what God's word says. This certainly expresses that there are two groups of people in the world. Those who have Jesus and those who don't. In John 3, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, hey, Rabbi, what do I have to do to go to heaven? What do I have to do? Jesus said, hey, you got to be born again. He said, what? What are you talking about? I'm a grown man. How do I climb inside my mother's body again and be born again? That's crazy talk. I can't do that. Jesus said, no, 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 you you don't understand. You were already born physically. That's your first birth, which we've all experienced. But there's a second birth, a spiritual birth, that you need to experience in order to go to heaven. You see, 
Jesus can offer us eternal life because of the resurrection. He's already overcome death. He's already overcome the grave. He has the power. He's already done it. And he's willing to give that to us if we commit our lives to him. If Jesus would have stayed dead, he would just be another forgotten fake Messiah. And we probably wouldn't even know his name. But he didn't. That's why there are thousands and thousands of churches all around the world today celebrating the history. But it's not just our future when we leave this world that he can change. It's not just eternal life. The fact is, Jesus not only offers us life eternal, but he offers us abundant life right now. Look at that verse John 10, 10 again. Pay really close attention because it really offers us two things. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Life is what we receive. It's the length, in a sense, of life he wants to change for us. But the quality of the life right now he wants to change also. This word abundant does not mean without trouble. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we're not going to have trouble in this world. We are. But what it does mean is that we will have a fullness to our life. We will have meaning and purpose to it. It'll provide something for us that we can't possibly experience. It's really what we were meant to do. It means living, uh, giving your life greater, sorry, it means giving your life to something greater than the daily routine. Listen, how many of us get caught up in the daily rat race? We get up, we get the kids ready, depending on where you're at in life, get the kids ready, get them off to school, you get ready to go to work, you spend all day at work, maybe in a job you don't like, maybe a job you do like, doesn't matter. You come home exhausted at the end of the day, you try to get the kids fed, you watch a little TV, and you go to bed. And then tomorrow, what do you do? The same exact thing again. But then tomorrow, the same exact thing again. And then we live for the weekend when we can do all the things around the house we need to get done because we didn't get any of those done during the week because we were too tired. And then Sunday we come to church if, you know, if we're a Christian and we want to be a part of God's family, whatever. And then, then Sunday afternoon we take a little nap. And then what do we do Monday? Start all over again. Just this rat race. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And then we'll spend a great part of our life collecting stuff. And then we die and take none of it with us. That's kind of silly, isn't it? Listen, we don't have time today to explore all these things that we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes in great detail. But I want to give you four quick ways that you can begin to experience abundant life. Because I think it's important for us to do that. First, nurture your relationship with God. Nurture your relationship with God. Folks, there's just, a, there's just an equal uh, librium thing that goes on with time spent with somebody and the depth of relationship. I can tell you I started a core group, uh, uh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine months ago with five guys, and we are meeting every week, studying God's words for a couple of hours. And we're there, we read God's word, we pray for one another, we share our burdens, uh, we spend time together every week. We become very close. And these are guys that uh, all but one I knew pretty well before that. But we've become closer because we've just spent time together, some quality time together. Listen, you can't have a close relationship with God if you don't spend time with him. It's like all relationships. So you need to spend time reading your Bible and praying, spending time worshiping him privately and corporately. 
The fact is, folks, every relationship that we have, if we don't nurture it, it suffers. It suffers. And so you have to nurture your relationship with God. That will help you experience abundant life. Secondly, you have to intentionally grow in your faith. Now, that might sound similar, but it's different. Just like a physical infant doesn't know enough to care for themselves, so too is a spiritual infant. And it doesn't matter whether you give your life to Christ when you're 15 or 25 or 55 or 95. If you are a brand new Christian who's just been born spiritually, you need help. What happens to a baby if we bring them home uh, from the hospital and we take them out and lay them in the yard and say, hope it works out for you, buddy? That baby's going to die. They can't care for themselves. Now, if we give them the care they need, they can grow into a really great responsible adult. Christianity is not much different. We have to intentionally grow in our faith. Spiritual growth takes place through intentional decision-making. You can't just be a Christian and, and assume that because I've been a Christian for five years, I've really grown a whole lot in five years. You have to intentionally make decisions to do it. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. You can't put a Bible under your pillow and grow in your Christianity. Okay? You have to make intentional decisions to do it. Third, you have to be in community with the church. The Bible calls this the body of Christ because it's the place where Jesus physically shows up today. Now, we've had church, uh, this church has had church on every Sunday except a few snow Sundays for 11 years now. Not once has Jesus walked down the aisle and asked if he could preach. And I don't expect it to happen anytime soon. But he shows up every Sunday in those who know him in the way that we deal with the world. You are his hands and feet. We are his representatives in the world. And listen, we all need encouragement assistance, love, acceptance, reassurance, and inspiration that comes from being a part of a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving group of people like Fellowship of Grace. And by the way, we're not the only uh, good church in town. We're not the only Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people in town. But you are here. So stick around. Get connected. Be a part of what's happening here. And if you don't like me or don't like the band or don't like our building or don't like the carpet or don't, and something's going to keep you from coming back here, go find another Bible-believing, Jesus-loving congregation of people and be in community with them. Folks, there are no, no Lone Ranger Christians in the Bible because Lone Rangers don't survive. And if you really love Jesus, you will love what he loves, the church. You can't experience life abundant without being part of a Jesus community. Can you go to heaven and experience eternal life? Yes. But can you really experience abundant life? No, you can't. And I want you to experience that. So get connected to a Jesus community. Lastly, you need to serve others outside yourself. As you grow in your Christianity, you will come to see that Jesus didn't just save us to go to heaven. If that were the case, we would all, when we accept Christ as our Savior, the next moment we'd close our eyes, we'd be dead, and we'd go to heaven. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. We are his plan for reaching and ministering to the world, and he wants you to be a part of that plan. He wants you to be a part of that effort. Now, you may not think you have much to offer, but he does, and so do we, by the way. 
We believe that every believer in Jesus is gifted with talents and abilities and spiritual gifts to minister and encourage the body. And we want to help you find your place. We really do. If you've already chosen Jesus as your Savior and you're not experiencing abundant life, folks, you might want to consider these things. Because abundant life doesn't just happen. Jesus offers us a way to abundant life, but we have to participate. You know, many times when Christians are not doing any of these things and they, they'll hit me up on Facebook or they'll come to me and they'll say, Pastor, my life is just so messed up and I'm so unhappy and just nothing going right for me and it's just like God's left me and I don't even know if he cares about me anymore and I don't know what to do and what am I going to do? Folks, it's really a little bit of a no-brainer. And I don't want to insult anybody because we all kind of get in these places at times. But it's kind of like somebody who goes to the doctor and they're hitting themselves in the head with a ball-peen hammer and they go into the doctor and they say, Hey, doc, you got to help me, man. I have these terrible headaches. Can you help me? I don't know what to do. Can you please give me something for my headaches? And the doctor just says, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you give me the hammer and stop hitting yourself? Let me tell you something, folks. If you're here as a Christian and you're saying, man, I don't experience abundant life. I want abundant life. And you're not doing these things, maybe any of them. Listen, I want to encourage you. Just take the hammer out of your hand. Just do them. And I promise you, 30, 60, 90 days from now, you'll begin to experience life in a more abundant way than you ever have before. Because that's one of the reasons Jesus came. Well, it certainly sounds like Easter has the potential to change our future, doesn't it? Including our eternal destination and our life right here for as long as we're on the earth. What's the key to making it happen? What's the key to receiving both eternal life and life abundant now. Well, we have the opportunity to receive what Jesus has made available. We have the opportunity to receive it. The reality is there are two groups of people just like we saw in that passage a few minutes ago. Those who have Jesus and those who don't. Those who are only born once physically will experience non-abundant life here and will experience what the Bible calls a place we call hell. Those who have been born again, who've been spiritually born into God's kingdom, will spend not only an eternity with him in his presence in a place called heaven, but they will have the opportunity to experience abundant life here. There are those who receive him and those who do not. By the way, not receiving him is the same as rejecting him. I know there are some people that say, hey, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. I want to be a spiritual Switzerland. I don't want to choose any sides. I want to just kind of be in the middle, be a peacekeeper for everybody. There's a lot of different ways to heaven. I'm just a spiritual person. Folks, the Bible is very clear. You can either accept Christ and what he's done on the cross for you or any other option. And no option No choice is a choice not to accept him. It is indeed a choice to reject him. Now, we can either ignore Easter, the resurrection, and everything that it means, or we can embrace it, accept it, receive it, its benefits, and and receive what Jesus has made available to us. How do we do that? Look what the Bible says in John 3, 16 and 17. 
It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then look at Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There are many things about God we don't know, folks. Uh, uh, we don't pretend around here to know that we think that we know everything there is to know about God. Nobody can know that. But he has made it crystal clear to us how we can connect to him and begin this abundant and eternal life. Listen, when it comes to mathematics, uh, I can't even begin to understand uh, the massive trigonometry type uh, calculations that go on. But I can know that two plus two equals four. Just because I don't know everything about math doesn't mean I know nothing about math. And just because we don't know everything about God doesn't mean that God hasn't given us enough information to get connected to him because that's what he wants. Listen, it's very simple. According to these verses in, in uh, John and in Romans, it's very simple that a person who puts their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to save them from their sins will have both eternal and abundant life or at least the opportunities for abundant life. What that means is, is simply... That, that you can accept that truth, you can confess that truth by maybe even a simple prayer like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong that displease you. I know that I can't stop doing that. And so I need somebody to pay for me. I know Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. And so I accept that generous gift that he gave me. I believe he died and rose again for me. And I accept that gift to pay for my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. That's simply all it is, putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did to save you. You know, sometimes when I'm sharing this with, with uh, young kids, I'll take them into McDonald's or um, uh, uh, Starbucks or someplace like that. Oh, they don't really like that. McDonald's is not a better place for them. I'll go into McDonald's and we'll get ice cream cones. And um, uh, I tell their parents, I kind of whisper to their parents, don't pay for this. So we get up there and we order our ice cream cones. They hand them to us. And then I just look at the kid. It's $4.12. And they freak out. I can't, they go, I can't pay. I, what do I do? I, I don't have any money. I kind of like that little part. And then, and then I say to them, hey, no problem. Let me take care of it. And I pay for them. Then when we sit down, I say, hey, what we're going to talk about is kind of like what just happened. You see, we have a debt that we can't pay. We're sinners. We can't pay that debt. You couldn't pay the $4.12 for the ice cream cones. But what happened? You didn't have to wash dishes or stay here and clean floors. I just stepped in and paid for you. That's what Jesus did for us in life. When we had a debt that we could not pay, he stepped in and sent his son to the earth to live a perfect life and die on the cross to pay for that. And so that opportunity is there. All we have to do is basically say, thank you for paying Jesus. I accept that gift and I give you my life. Folks, God wants us to know this. He doesn't want us to guess at it. He, we don't, he doesn't want us to just hope for the best. You know, sometimes when I talk to people who say that they're Christians and I say, well, so do you know you're going to heaven for sure? They'll say, well, I, I sure hope so. You, you hope so? Come on. 
If you believe what the Bible says, you believe the word of God, you should know so. Look what it says in 1 John 5, 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Folks, God wants us to know that, not to hope for it or, or man, I need to hope. Listen, I know for a fact, 100%, know for a fact that when I die, I'm going to heaven, whether it's today or tomorrow, next week, next month, or 50 years from, it won't be 50 years from, 30 years from now. It won't be 50. 30 years from now, okay? But it's not because of me. It's not because of anything I've done or earned. It's because I can't do anything. And I've let Jesus pay for me. And the debt is paid. When I pay for their ice cream, it's $4.12. I give the person $4.12 and it's completely and totally paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, he totally and completely paid for our sins, folks. There's nothing left to pay for. Now, I wish I could talk everybody here into giving your life to Christ today. I wish today that you would just uh, uh, see that Easter changes everything and that you would just say, listen, today's the day I'm going to give my life to Jesus. For the first time, I'm going to really trust him as my Savior. But I know that only he can change a human heart. I can't talk you into it. But I want to tell you something. If you're feeling a little nudge in your mind or in your heart, that maybe you should do this today, that's him. That's, that's him nudging you. That's him encouraging you. That's him saying, do this. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. Do it. Don't ignore him, folks. Don't ignore him. We've just been reading through the book of Romans, and we saw that God allowed people's hearts to be hardened after rejecting him over and over and over and over again. Don't let that happen. I want everybody to grab this little connection card. Grab it. You came in, and it was on your seat. You're either, you either have it in your hand or you're sitting on it now. Okay? If, you, if you don't have it somewhere, stand up for a second, get it, and listen. It's only going to take you a second to fill this out. We don't want everything about your background. By the way, we don't ever give away or sell this information to anybody for any reason. All we want to know is your name and your email or phone and how you found us today. But on the back, everybody turn over to the back for just a second. If today's the day that you're making a personal commitment to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just check that box. Check that box. We'll follow up with you. We'll help you, folks. You've started your spiritual journey. And we want to be that church who comes alongside of you and encourages you and helps you and, and all those things that we talked about. But even if you just want to talk to somebody about either being a Christian or what it means to join the church or getting baptized or maybe you just have some questions for the pastor, even things that we didn't talk about today, just check that box or any of those boxes. And there's a place for prayer requests. We want to pray for you. We have a team of people that do that every week. We take it seriously. And so if you write something down there and turn this in, we will pray for that request this week. I promise you. Now, I want everybody to fill one of these out, okay? I want everybody to fill one of these out. Because we want to help you, folks. We are here to, to help you on your spiritual journey. Listen, Easter has the potential to change everything if we will just let it. If we will just let it. Start today by letting Easter and specifically Jesus and the fact that he rose from the dead change your future. Listen, Easter changes everything. I mean everything. We're going to talk about all these different things. 
Then it changes specifically over the next six weeks. Come and hear how, how Easter changes these things, how the fact that Jesus resurrecting from the dead changes all of these things if we'll just let him. But Easter changes everything, folks. I mean every single thing in our lives. This is your Easter. This could be the Easter that could change your life forever if you will just let him in and let him do what he wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for your spirit that guides us. Father, we thank you for the truth that's in your word. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today who has not yet crossed that line of faith, who has not given their life to you, who has not, as John 3 says, been born again, God, help them to make the decision to do that today before they leave. Nudge them a little harder, we beg you. Nudge them a little harder. And, and Father, if there's people here today who are Christians, who are not experiencing abundant life at all because they're just not doing the things necessary to experience it, I pray that you would convict them of that, that you would help them to just commit to doing the things necessary to really experience abundant life. And they would begin to experience it in a community like Fellowship of Grace. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people that are in it and, and for the people that are part of the Fog family here, we call them. Father, I pray that you'd help us to really be that to each other, encourage one another, help each other, love each other, accept each other, and see all of us move forward in our spiritual lives. Help us on this journey to become more like you. Father, we thank you for life eternal, and we thank you for abundant life. Help us, help us to experience both of those. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.